Hey guys, welcome back to episode 37. It's just me here again today. Uh, what I want to cover in today's episode is just um, my um, the athletic development hierarchy that I adapted from Al Vermeil. So today's one will be more about uh, human performance and athletic development. So the athletic development hierarchy that I adapted from Al, um, essentially what it is, is I saw this in, in, a, in actually a... Um, a word document it's a book that i saw from al vermeil it's in a word document but basically al's uh elite development hierarchy is essentially work capacity then maximum strength explosive strength elastic reactor strength and speed multi-directional speed now essentially what i added in there were just a few more levels um to that elite development hierarchy i added in two more foundational levels uh before work capacity i put in movement quality and then before movement quality i put in nutrition supplementation and lifestyle circadian rhythms uh, mental, emotional, spiritual health. Um, some people can call it psychology if they want. Uh, and then actually between... Uh, and then after work capacity, I actually put body composition trainings for people that need to drop body fat or who are looking for body composition change. And then actually I put hypertrophy after that. And then on top of that was maximum strength, explosive strength, elastic reactive strength, and speed, multidirectional speed. So again, I just adapted from Alvin Meal. Um, so essentially what I'm going to do today is just speak about every... Uh, section on this athletic development hierarchy and um, also speak about what are objective measures of each one of these qualities and biomotor qualities on this athletic development hierarchy now in regards to nutrition supplementation lifestyle circadian rhythms and mental emotional spiritual well-being i covered them pretty well in the previous episode so the question will be well, what are objective measures then for the following for nutrition supplementation lifestyle circadian rhythms and mental emotional spiritual health what's an objective measure for movement quality for work capacity, for body composition, hypertrophy, what are, what are objective measures for maximum strength, explosive strength, elastic reactive strength, and then finally speed and multi-directional speed. So we'll start obviously at the very bottom of the pyramid here, or the, the bottom of the hierarchy. And what I'll do actually is I'll see if I can post up the actual, uh, this elite development hierarchy that I have here in front of me in my uh, PowerPoint, that I have in many of my PowerPoint presentations. So at the very bottom here we have nutrition and supplementation that will, uh, cover first and objective measures for nutrition supplementation will be functional lab testing essentially and things like heart rate variability uh, you know functional lab tests will, will be able to look at many many things with regards to a person's health you know like their their hormones their digestive health their detoxification capabilities or do they have any uh, do they have a leaky gut um how is their immune system um do they have any um pathogens uh, like a parasite bacterial fungal or yeast infection um, and then heart rate variability is just going to give you a snapshot into how well uh, someone is from a health perspective and fitness perspective so how well someone is adapting to all the environmental stressors in their life whether that be a nutritional stress, a circadian rhythm stress an environmental, tox uh, an environmental toxicity stress a relationship stress, any type of mental, emotional, spiritual stress exercise stress etc um, with regards to subjective measures you know, things just essentially like questionnaires and food logs would, would, uh, would suffice on that end of things uh, with circadian rhythms again uh, your functional lab testing and HRV is, is going to give you objective measures um, with regards to that and subjective will be again just questionnaires and um, things of that nature um, because again circadian rhythms are going to have, have a huge huge uh, impact on your you know the biochemistry of your body so that's how you know looking at things like some functional lab tests particularly like a cortisol um uh, an adrenal an adrenal stress profile that looks like cortisol and DHEA because you're going to map out someone's circadian rhythm with that cortisol and DHEA rhythm because usually with a saliva cortisol test you'll spin into a tube four times a day morning 
afternoon, evening and night time and you'll see how much cortisol you're producing over the course of a day and in a healthy person really it should be highest in the morning and it should slowly decline as the day goes on and be lowest at night while melatonin conversely goes higher at night time and is lower in the morning. Uh, but that cortisol, uh, that saliva cortisol test will, will give you an indication of someone's circadian rhythm. So there is an objective measure of circadian rhythms. Uh, you know, a uh, subjective measure is like what time do you go to bed at? How do you feel when you get up in the morning? Do you need to hit the snooze alarm 100 times before you get up? Do you drink loads of coffee? Stuff like that. Mental, emotional, spiritual. As I said in the previous podcast, I believe that the vast majority of uh, mental health issues have biochemical issues at their root cause. So I think once you clean up someone's nutrition, supplementation, um, circadian rhythms, I think a lot of their mental health issues uh, will go into remission. Now again, that's not to say that I believe that every single mental health issue has a biochemical issue as its root cause, but I do believe that these biochemical issues are definitely contributing factors to all mental health issues. So that would be my take on that. And moving on then to movement quality, this is where the functional movement screen comes in here um, with regards to the hierarchy. Not going to spend any time here defending it or talking about it or whatnot. Uh, listen, if you don't want to use the functional movement screen, that's fine, but at least be using some sort of objective system to rate and rank movement quality and make sure that it's body weight, modifiable, and uh, minimally cued. And I got that from Charlie Weingroff. Um, and make sure it also respects the four the four uh, four make sure it also respects these four areas: neurodevelopmental kinesiology, pain and motor control, regional interdependence, and a high threshold strategy. If your system ticks all in boxes, then by all means use that to rate and rank movement quality. Um, so if you want to know more about that, I listen to my podcast with Gray Cook. I listen to my podcast with Charlie Wangroff, and I even listen to the podcast I did with Vernon Better. Uh, next is work capacity. Work capacity essentially would be aerobic capacity, particularly for lactic aerobic sports. Objective measures there for that would be, um, for me, a yo-yo intermittent recovery test. Level 2 is what I use. And I look for anything over 1,200 meters on that to see that if you're fit. Uh, I also do like to use mass runs, so I do use the 1km run to calculate out my mass times. Uh, other things you can look at are rest and heart rate over 7 days. And you could also look at rest and heart rate one minute after uh, the test is completed. Um, what else was there being work capacity? Do I have anything else there? I might go through my some of my slides here in performance tests and make sure I'm not forgetting anything. Just also on the FMS, obviously, the 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 the, uh, the objective or the the baseline objective score there to know that you have sufficient movement quality will be 14 or 21 to metrical twos. Anyway, back onto work capacity. So yo-yo intermittent recovery test level two. Uh, I like to use the one kilometer test for the the uh, mass runs. I like to see anything under three thirty really on that. Uh, anything sub two hundred seconds is is fairly fit on that one kilometer test. And again, looking at your rest and heart rate over a five to seven day period, and also looking at your one minute rest and heart rate after the test is completed is also um, pretty good. Um, just let me see if there's anything else I want to look at with regards to work capacity there. I just have a feeling I'm leaving something out. Am I leaving something out there? I'm just going to slide down real quick and have a look. Yeah, yo-yo intermittent recovery test. Oh, that's pretty it, yeah, seven and one minute, yeah, that's pretty much it, yeah. Okay, let's go back, I think we're on body composition next. So body composition, um, obviously ob objective measures are going to be, uh, for me, you know, taking a person's body weight and then just a caliper test is going to be the most viable thing for most people. Obviously, thing like a, a DEXA scan or something like that is probably going to be 
you know the most accurate out of all because it's going to give you a look at intramuscular fat and all this and it's also going to tell you what's bone what's muscle what's tissue but for most of us caliper testing is going to be the most um viable way of doing body fat levels now what do you use a, a seven site uh, a four site a three site charles polycon's biosignature listens whatever you're comfortable with and as long as it's reliable and valid time after time okay uh, I personally use a seven site. That's just the one I've gone with. So what I use there is I use a tricep, subscap, pec, min auxiliary, abs, iliac crest, and thigh. And the norms I have for males are: if you're over fifteen percent, you're fat. If you're thirteen to fifteen percent, that's fair. Ten to twelve percent is average. Eight to ten would be um, very good. And anything below eight, you're you're hitting that kind of elite you know very very ripped type look for females then it will be anything over 25 percent you're probably carrying too much body fat 17 to 17 to 24 percent is good to average 12 to 16 percent is good to very good and anything below 12 percent then is is kind of a leap you know figure bodybuilding type uh, and you need to be careful with that with regards to their menstrual cycle but uh, that's what i do for for body composition now the reason why body composition actually comes after work capacity with regards to the hierarchy is because uh, one you want someone to be able to recover from uh, body composition type training because it's very metabolically demanding uses uh, with regards to energy system wise body composition training is very lactate dominant and um, so we want to make sure that the person has the work capacity to recover from them types of sessions and also we want to make sure then um oh no that's pretty much just really make sure sorry work capacity because before that's just to make sure that they can recover from that type of training something i want to say here hopefully i'll make sense when i say this is that with regards to, to every single quality and biomotor quality on this hierarchy bar work capacity and and we'll say metabolic or um yeah metabolically induced hypertrophy every other thing there on this hierarchy so we'll say things like work capacity uh, maximum strength explosive strength elastic strength and speed um, all of those qualities we want to develop as efficiently as possible because they are mainly alactic qualities and alactic training is all about quality rather than quantity so uh, and alactic is very very fatiguing on the central nervous system whereas things like body composition goals and body composition training and metabolically induced hypertrophy is really demanding on the metabolic systems and with regards to uh, regards to being efficient or inefficient it's extremely inefficient training because if you think about it things like body composition training really is um is really well uh what, what really helps with body composition is, is anything that induces an epoch effect so that exercise post-oxygen uh, consumption effect so that would you know the epoch basically raises your body temperature your heart rate and your respiration anywhere from 24 to, to, to 72 hours depending on the individual and whatever kind of research you read and that them types of things are very very good if body composition goals are your goals because that's very inefficient training it's going to make you it's going to demand more energy from your body demand you to burn more calories more body fat and that's what you want with regards to body composition but if your goal is to increase maximum strength explosive explosive strength elastic reactive strength speed multi-directional speed you got to make sure that you're using efficient training methods that you're ideally using uh, methods that are electing um uh, the main fuel to be utilized from the ATPA lactic system that you're not using uh, the glycolytic system to fuel activities that really you should be using the ATP system for because again that lactic system is so uh, metabolically inefficient and if it's if you keep doing chronic um, metabolic type work as that you're going to just burn yourself out burn your athletes out and they're just eventually going to under recover uh, going to be they're going to be under recovered all the time and it will look like that they're overtrained and they may even be overtrained so i always use this analogy with regards to to, to 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 like the difference between 
um, you know, the difference between athletic development and sort of like body composition or body composition type training. As I said, so athletic development type stuff or human performance stuff essentially most of the time is generally driven by alactic and aerobic energy systems whereas that kind of body composition stuff has a very large component of kind of lactate capacity type stuff and um, so the athletic development human form stuff is all about efficiency we we're trying to get our athletes from point a to point b as efficiently as possible and um, we're trying to get them to uh to, to get to their goals with with the least accumulated uh, the least amount of, of accumulated fatigue as possible okay so human performance is all about efficiency body composition goals fat loss and all that type of stuff is generally about inefficient methods to get there uh, so those alactic qualities are very inefficient maybe on the central nervous system um but again if they're managed properly they will not burn out an athlete um but the whereas the lactate body composition stuff is very inefficient metabolically and if it's chronic it can definitely can definitely uh, burn someone out so a quick analogy just to get i knew i was going to ramble on this point i knew i was because it's just i always do but the analogy i always basically use with regards to human performance okay uh, i always use this car analogy so we have we have uh, car one and car two and we've got point a and point b now car one basically takes the motorway from point A to point B and it takes 20 minutes to get from point A to point B. Car 2 though takes the back roads which takes 40 minutes to get from point A to point B. So at the end of the day both cars get from point A to point B but car 1 that took the motorway used a far more efficient method to get to point B. So that car now has accumulated less fatigue if you will and has more fuel in its tank than car 2. Car 2 did a far more inefficient way to get to point B. It's still at point B but it's accumulated more fatigue it has less fuel in the tank if you will and essentially that's what human performance is we're trying to get our athletes to point a to from point a to point b we're trying to get them from their goals as efficiently as possible we want to get them as fit as possible with, with, while accumulating the least amount of fatigue as possible uh so body composition there as i said so the so we're going to use that caliper test i use seven site as i said use whatever one you're comfortable with and then i gave you the body fat scores there hypertrophy then is the next one and the reason why hypertrophy comes after body composition is because we want i want you to have better insulin sensitivity better leptin sensitivity before you go into your hypertrophy block i want you to get lean before you get big um and that kind of comes from the likes of charles poliquin and jason fruger but it, it just makes sense to me as well i want you to be lean before you get big because i want you to have a better uh better insulin sensitivity um so that you put on good lean clean muscle mass instead of just getting just big and fat and screwing up your hormones and your health as well in the process um so there is no real objective test for hypertrophy in that like you look at someone and go yeah you need to put on more muscle mass it's kind of just you look at them and say yeah you're skinny you need to put on weight and it's also sport dependent so like uh you may need to put on muscle mass for a certain sport like rugby uh, where those guys need a shield of armor and also depends on what, what what part of the field that you're also playing in. and also if you're just small and weak even if you're playing hurling getting football you know it, it would benefit you probably to put on a little bit of muscle mass because there's this idea from some people they think that people in ga realms i mean they have this thing that oh we have to get big and bulky so we can hit lads it's not that if you have a bigger muscle you've potential to have a stronger muscle a stronger muscle can put more force on the ground therefore you can be faster that's why hypertrophy is also important in that regards but basically hypertrophy it doesn't have an objective measure now you can have object you can have objective measures for hypertrophy to know that you are putting on muscle mass and and not body fat uh, and that is basically taking your body weight taking your body fat and also measuring certain parts of your body like your chest width your arm your thigh etc um so you could do that maximum strength then would be after that uh, that's the next thing on the hierarchy 
So maximum strength then, you know, we all know the objective measures here. They're going to be our, 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 our RM testing. For me, I use 1RM testing. The main 1RM tests that I use are um, trap bar deadlift and bench press. Now, you can also use a squat variation too, but I, I like to use trap bar deadlift for lower, uh, lower body strength. And really, trap bar deadlift looks at total body strength because the grip and the upper back are involved. And uh, I like to use bench press for my main push test and then a weighted chin-up for 2RM on the... On the um, on the uh, pull-up now I also do a, a pull-up um, test as many reps as you can as well if you know so, so something like with the guys in the Fina there I just do a uh, bench press one around deadlift one around on the trap bar and then I just do chins as many as I can just for time's sake but if you had time to do a, a weighted chin up as well you could do that uh, obviously you're not going to do any maximum testing with a beginner with beginners uh, if, if you're with, in a situation where a sports manager wanted some tangible data I'm just getting up here off my chair again stretch out my hip flexors move over chair if you're in a situation where a manager wants tangible data on, on an athlete um, you could do repetition tests now saying that if I have an athlete so the repetition test that I usually would do would be a push up inverted row and chin up and, and I would um I would just do like vertical jump profile to look at you know his power up with his lower body. I wouldn't do any official uh, maximum strength stuff. I like anyone listening just knows this. You don't do maximum strength stuff for beginners. Ridiculous. Everyone knows that. It should be fairly common knowledge. Anyone listening to this, but in saying that with the repetition test, if I do have a beginner who flunks the trunk stability push up in the FMS, he's not going to do a push up test. Why would he? Can't even do push up on the on, on the FMS test. He might do a chin up test and an inverted row test, and that'll be it. Um. So with beginners, just I'll actually go slide down here. So. With beginners, the testing protocol that I do with a beginner, if I have it here, I do have it here, would be I would do their body fat, I would do their linear speed, I will do their multi-directional speed, I will do their vertical jump profile, so we'll look at non-counter uh, movement, we'll look, we'll look at a non-counter uh, non non movement vertical jump, a counter movement vertical jump, uh, we'll look at their elastic strength to either four jump tests or a, 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 a depth drop off a box, and then the strength endurance, we can do some chins, push-ups, and rows. Again, we want to push-up if they flunk that in the FMS, the trunk stability push-up. And then we'll look at their aerobic capacity with the yo-yo, or if I decide to do one kilometer with the mass. Whereas with uh, with my more experienced guys, what we will do is we'll basically do all that, except they will do Olympic lifts to look at explosive strength as well. Um, if that's it, they do Olympic lift, and we'll also do maximum strength tests, the trap bar, the bench press, and two chin-up 2RM if we have that. If we don't have time for chin-up 2RM, we'll just do an AMRAP on that as many reps as possible so uh yeah with maximum strength i look for um personally myself i said one rm on the deadlift one rm on the bench and i'm just going to get the norms up here for my males um where are we here come on where are we gonna go here we go here we go so with regards to males on the trap bar deadlift, I would say anywhere from two to two and a half times body weight, maybe 1.75 being on the very lower end there, but generally two, two and a half times body weight. A bench press of one to one and a half times body weight would be sufficient. These Now these are norms that I use for GA players. A weighted chin up for two with 30 to 40% plus your body weight. So your body weight plus 30 to 40% of your body weight. Um, a back squat of one and a half times to two times body weight and a front squat of body weight to one and a half times body weight in around that um, so in between those sort of ranges with females now actually I'm going to admit I've never actually officially tested a full female team I've only, I'm only given norms of the strongest females I've trained so the strongest females i trained 
their back squats were one 1.25 to one and a half times body weight these are these are one rm maxes by the way same for the male norms i just gave there the trap bar was one and a half two times body weight for females and bench press 0.8 to one times body weight uh so explosive strength then comes after maximum strength because we know maximum strength and underpins things like explosive strength elastic strength and speed but of course we had to have all those other qualities in place before we could optimally develop maximum strength um so with explosive strength you can do a vertical jump profile you can do some standing long jumps too and there's the argument there that you know standing long jumps might have more carryover because of their horizontal production with regards to like acceleration and all that but i personally use the vertical jumps at the moment um and my norms for vertical jumps again these are just more going for ga players um, let me see here where did I pull them up so with the males vertical jump if you're below 20 inches that's poor 20 24 inches is fair 20 20 25 to 29 inches is good very good would be 30 35 and I can go 35 inches you're elite with the non-counter jump looking at starting strength you know I don't want to see that any less than about 18 to 20 percent of your counter movement jump I got that from actually Alvin Meal. it's kind of holding up true with the testing I've done over the last two years most of the gap players I see fall in between that fair place, in between that 20 to 24 inches. The odd guy will hit 25, 26. A lot of them are poor, actually. A lot of them hit 16, 17, 18 inches, but the majority fall into that fair, that fair category. With the females, anything below 16 inches wouldn't be great. 16 to 20 would be fair. 20 to 25 is good, very good. Anything over 25 now is usually fairly good for female. And again, with counter movement jump, uh, in ratio to non-counter move jump I still wouldn't like to see a drop off anymore about 20% in my female athletes um, the other thing you can so again the vertical jumps are a speed strength indicator of explosive strength while Olympic differentiations would be a strength speed indicator of explosive strength so with regards to the males um, a hand clean of body weight to 1.25 times body weight would be decent again these are one rms hang snatch with it that's, that's a normal hang snatch with the with the normal uh, snatch grip 0.70 to 0.90 times body weight close grip hang snatch 0.60 to 0.80 times body weight power clean of 1.25 to one half times body weight and power snatch of 80 to pounds body weight there for the males and then for my female athletes uh i would say oh i'm going past it I would say hang clean of 0.80 to body weight, hang snatch of 0.60 to 0.80 body weight, and a close grip hang snatch of 0.50 to 0.70 body weight. Again, one RMs there. Next thing then will be our elastic strength, our elastic uh, reactive strength. What the test I like to use for that is a depth drop off a box. So for for males, I like to use a. Um, I like to use. I think it's a. Uh, where are we here? Yeah, I like to use an 18 to 20 inch box for, for males. That's what I've been using with the guys. For females, anywhere from 12 to 16 inches. Uh, so they basically they just do a depth drop off a box into a vertical jump. And basically I'm trying to see how close to their best vertical counter moving vertical jump they can get. If you can get within 90% of your best counter moving vertical jump, you have pretty good elastic capabilities. Um, so you do. So uh, another test you can use the four jump test with a just jump mat, and that will actually calculate over the four jumps how close to their counter movement vertical jump that uh, that they're coming to. So how well they're utilizing their explosive strength elastically, if you will. Um, so with the males, they use an 18, 20 inch box. Females, 14 to 16 or even 12, 16 inch box. They drop off the box, and you give them three attempts, and you're seeing if they can. Uh, you're seeing if they can um, come within 90 percent of that. So after elastic reactive capabilities, we finally get to the apex of this hierarchy of this pyramid, and that is speed and multi-directional speed. 
Um, I have to say, this is where my, my with regards to linear speed, this is where I've changed a little bit. I used to only test up to 20 meters, and now really I would test up to uh, up to 40 meters um, because of. I thought I changed these slides. Maybe these are old slides. Because uh, since I did the athlete's performance course last year, and speaking with a friend of mine, O McGuire, who did his thesis in the difference, the different sort of ratio of accelerations to top end speed to walking to recovery um sort of ratios in a kind of hurling and football and ga game he actually showed that a lot of ga players actually get up to top end speeds while they play so that really kind of changed my attitude and gave me more appreciation for top end speed work so i would actually test before i would have tested just a 20 meter sprint acceleration test for linear speed to you know, uh, to look mainly at acceleration, you know, zero to ten, mainly looking at that relative maximum strength capabilities with regards to acceleration, and then ten to twenty, looking more so that explosive strength. But now I have more appreciation for the absolute speed of that kind of 25, 30 meters plus on outwards because of what Owen told me, and also because of what I learned in that um, at least performance phase one and phase two, and just got more appreciation for absolute speed type training. So pressing myself, I would do a forty meter sprint test. I would only do it in an indoor venue uh, with timing gates. The ideal venue would be a uh, an all-weather indoor facility. That would be the ideal venue. Um, um, and, the, and I would break up that 40 meters into 10 meter segments. And the reason for that is because um, different strength qualities contribute to different parts of that linear of, of that linear sprint. So we know that from zero to 10, relative maximum strength are the main contributing factors um, uh, to, to that sprint then from about 10 to 20 meters or there thereabouts explosive strength is the main contributing factor to the sprint and then from about 20 25 uh, 30 meters on outwards um, uh, elastic reactive strength becomes the main contributing uh, uh, main contributor main contributing factor to the uh, to, to that sprint so um Guys who are very, very strong with regards to relative max strength usually it can accelerate very, very good. But if they pour elasticity, they generally start to fade out once, once if this is they're in a race with someone, they'll start to fade out once they start to get further on out. But guys who've got great elastic capabilities, but who mightn't be who mightn't be as strong, they might have good relative strength, maybe maybe not absolute or maximum strength. They will um they will generally start slow and then start to hit you know start to really speed up and hit that top end speed very very like Usain Bolt slow to start but my god when he hits 3 meters his elasticity is just off the charts and then also his stride length um, but with linear speed I would do a 40 meter 40 meter sprint broken up to 10 meter segments um, and I would give you know three, probably three at least 3 efforts um, you could do 6 efforts where, where they push off the left leg uh, 3 times right leg 3 times and you want to be given a good rest period there, about four or five minutes in between each, between each effort if it's a 40-meter sprint. Again, break them up into 10-meter segments. The ideal venue for me would be all their all-weather all indoor facility because guys get to wear their boots. Uh, the venue will be the same every time. There's no wind, no rain to worry about. And also use time and gates. Don't use a stopwatch. It's just too much human error involved. But again, those 10-meter segments is to look at those different strength qualities that contribute to those different parts of the race. So again, 0 to 10 will be your relative and absolute strength relative max or if you want to say absolute strength qualities correlate very well to that 0 to 10 10 to kind of 20 25 and 30 meters is more that explosive strength capabilities and then you know 25 30 meters on is that more that absolute that more elastic reactive uh, strength that correlates to absolute speed so that's what i would do with regards to linear acceleration for multi-directional speed then two things we need to consider here is 
planned multi-directional speed and then and then reactive so planned i would just use a 5105 i like that test pers personally myself um i would personally yeah, personally use that myself and uh again just give the give the person i'm trying to go through my slides here just give me a second i think that slide should be updated and it's not maybe i did it on my other slides i could pause this but fuck it it's not live radio but where are those slides just give me a look at this no here we go let me have a look at this is it on this i wonder i think it could be hopefully my computer doesn't crash now when i look at this No, no, it's still the same on this as well. I thought I did change those. Obviously, I didn't. Maybe it was something else I put it into. Oh, I think it was an article I did. That's probably what it is. It's the article I'm thinking of, not the PowerPoint. I need to update this PowerPoint that I'm looking at, guys. Anyway, uh, um, just actually, I'll go back real quickly with regards to times for just the linear speed test. Now, these are only times for a 10 and 20 meter because this is originally what I would have done. I don't actually have any times for 30 or 40 meters. But at uh, times I have for males of 80 to 90 kg for 10 meter, average is 1.8. Fast 1.7, very fast 1.6, elite is 1.5, these are obviously seconds. 20 meter then for an 80 to 90 kg male, 2.8 is average, fast 2.7, very fast 2.6, elite 2.5. Then 90 to 100 kg male, 10 meter will be average 1.9, fast 1.8, very fast 1.7, elite 1.6. And then 20 meters just add a second to all those, average 2.9, fast 2.8, very fast 2.7, elite 2.6. And then females, 60 kg or less, 10 meter fast is one point, or 10 meter average is 1.8. Fast 1.7, very fast 1.6, and elite is 1.5. 20 meters is average 2.8. Fast 2.7, very fast 2.6, elite 2.5. And then finally, females of 60 to 80 kg, 10 meters is average 1.9, fast 1.8, very fast 1.7, elite 1.6. And then 20 meters is average 2.9, fast 2.8, very fast 1.7, and elite 2.6. I went through that fast, but sure you guys can listen back to it again. Uh, sorry, now back to the agility test. Yeah, five, the 5.510 five uh, five, five test they use in the combine, that's a good one to use. But again, the problem with that is is that it's a plan. So again, something from at least before I was talking to Nick Winkleman, uh, Nicole Rodriguez, Barry Solon, all those great minds. Um, you probably want to maybe think about doing something reactive with regards to your multi-directional speed. Uh, but again, I mean, I mean, with, with, with a plan, when you're just looking at someone's capabilities of changing direction, how fast they can do it, so it's just giving you a good objective measure. But maybe you want to have a look at what are they like from a planned reactive drill to an, uh, to a reactive one. I don't, I mean, I've never done reactive agility to be honest. I've only ever done just a planned five ten five. And with regards to five ten five, same thing. I'd like to do it in all weather indoor facility. I like to use time and gates again. And multi-directional speed actually will look at many strength qualities, starting strength, explosive strength, elastic strength, eccentric strength qualities. So it gives you a, a look at, at a lot of things there. Um, I would test uh, both ways. So you could get them, to, you know, if you weren't caught for time and you had time gates, you, you could actually test them for six attempts. So they could, they could turn three times one way, three times the other way if you wanted. But if you were stuck, just go with three efforts. I usually go with about three minutes to four minutes rest in between each effort. Um, something that I picked up from Alvin Meal is that if they have a good 10 and 20 meter acceleration test, or even if they had a good 40 meter, 
uh, no, sorry, excuse me. If if they have a good ten and yeah, if they have a good ten and twenty meter time or a good ten and twenty meter acceleration test, but their five ten five doesn't look great, he would say that maybe maybe they have some elastic or eccentric uh, strength quality issues, and maybe you want to look at that. But if they have a poor ten and twenty meter acceleration test and a poor five ten five test, Al would say that you know probably they're just generally just they're just weak. So he said he said look to develop their maximum explosive strength qualities first, and then. Uh, maybe look to develop their elastic re- reactive strength qualities and eccentric strength and eccentric strength qualities after that. So that's just something to consider. So uh, I don't. Know, hopefully, I touched on enough things there. So again, with the hierarchy, again, our foundational layer is nutrition, supplementation, lifestyle, circadian rhythms, mental, emotion, spiritual well-being. Once we have uh, all of these, um, once we have all these in place, then we go on to movement quality. Work capacity, body composition, hypertrophy, maximum strength, explosive strength, elastic reactive strength, speed, multi-direction speed. The basic way I always, uh, the basic way I always describe the athletic development hierarchy is that all of the preceding qualities need to be developed to a sufficient enough level to support the succeeding qualities higher up in the hierarchy. I used to actually say all the preceding qualities need to be optimally developed to support the succeeding qualities higher up in the hierarchy but that probably isn't 100% true um, so I would say once again that the, the preceding qualities need to be developed to a sufficient enough level to support the succeeding qualities up up the hierarchy um, so I hope you guys found that somewhat good somewhat alright I don't think I rambled on as much as I did the last day oh, I'm on 33 minutes that was actually quite quick um, so do I have anything else to say I hope I covered everything there Covered norms, yeah, we did cover norms there and that. What I'll do is I'll stick, I'll stick. Uh, maybe hopefully I can JPEG this and just maybe put it in with the podcast. Um, hope it makes sense. Again, listen, I didn't invent anything here. Alvin Mill gets all the credit with the elite development hierarchy. I just adapted it a bit, and then even even the 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 sections I put in like uh, nutrition, supplementation, lifestyle, circadian rhythms, mental, emotional, spiritual health, all that stuff comes from other people. The the influence I've got from other people, and then the fact that you know what a lot of these people said to me made sense. So. Um, I went with that movement quality. I mean, FMS is purely a great cook. As I said, you know, even with the body composition before hypertrophy, that came from the kind of the insulin sensitivity thing from Char- Charles Poliquin and um, excuse me, I did a burp there. Um, Jason Ferruja, regard you know, regards to having you know that insulin that you know just a better hormonal profile profile and that you're leaner going into a, a kind of a hypertrophy emphasis. So it just made more sense to me. So that's kind of where I'm at in regards to an athletic development hierarchy. These are the the qualities that I, I believe um, are absolutely essential, and, and they're in they're in a specific order that I believe are essential as well. Um, so again, as I said, with this hierarchy, all of the preceding qualities need to be developed to a sufficient enough level to support the succeeding qualities higher up on that hierarchy. So guys, I hope that made sense. If you have any questions at all. Or any suggestions um, about any, any topics you want covered I think in the next podcast I might do some functional medicine stuff and um, might talk about that I didn't do as many M's today I don't think either well, anyway listen I'll leave it at that today it's getting dark here and I'm actually still looking at the computer screen so I don't want to be uh, taking away any more melatonin so I hope that was good I'll probably stick this up tomorrow and I will talk to you soon take guy, take, uh, take care guys be well, stay strong, and peace.